about to be King David, who had just been anointed by Saul as the future king, was really, really ticked. He was so angry he could barely contain himself. He had been insulted one too many times. David had 600 of the greatest fighting men in the whole army of Israel who had sworn loyalty to him. Saul was threatened. Saul knew that uh, David had been anointed as the one who would be the next king instead of his own sons. And so he had pursued David, attacked him, surrounded him and driven him out into the desert. So David and these 600 fighting men had found a place where they could hole up and hide. It was out in the backside of the desert near the Dead Sea in the south part of the land where people seldom went. The only people who were there, in fact, were a few shepherds and wealthy landowners. They used that part of uh, the, the Middle East, the ancient Middle East, to graze their sheep and tend their flocks. So David and his 600 fighting men had chosen this part of the world to kind of carve out their own territory, to, to create a place where they could hide, where they, could, they would not be threatened by Saul's armies. But it was lonely, and it was empty, and it was dry, and it was dusty, and they were tired. They had been there month after month after month waiting for things to change, for the right moment to come when they could rise up and take the throne, or at least God would do something, something to change their circumstances. And while they were waiting out there, angry and frustrated in the middle of the desert, word had come that the wealthiest man in the territory was about to throw a party. It was sheep shearing season and it was harvest time. They would have a banquet. There would be tables mounded with food and lots to drink. And well, the hospitality of the ancient Middle East would make it very easy for a few guests to be invited. So David chose 10 of his best young soldiers, asked them to go to this wealthy landowner and politely request that perhaps he would share some food and drink with them. He said, even tell them that it's, that it's me, that it's David. Be kind, be gentle, be humble. And they were. They went, they went to his, his feast place, to his house, and asked nicely if perhaps they could get something to eat and something to drink. They'd been so dry and so hungry for so long. But the man who owned the flocks and owned the land, his name was Nabal. It meant fool. And he was a fool. And he acted like his name. And instead of being kind and gracious and hospitable to David's men, he did what he always did. He was churlish and mean. He insulted them, told them to get out of there. Why should he share some of his meat and his drink and his party with any of them? Who, who were they after all? Who was this David, this son of Jesse? And in saying that, he revealed that he knew who David was. But you know, there's always somebody who's got enough money and got enough power that they can get away with being a jerk. 
And Nabal had been doing it all his life. It was his reputation never to sort of get along, never to be kind and, and considerate. It just wasn't in him. And so the ten soldiers had come back to David. <laughs> and David had had it. He, he flew into a rage, the scriptures say. He strapped on his sword and he called 400 of his 600 men to go with him. To mount up, to, to get their arms together and to ride off to exact revenge on this incredibly, incredibly foolish, stupid, insulting man who had, who had done it one too many times to the wrong person. And in the middle of this scene, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, we meet an incredible person who intervenes in this entire situation. And friends, this is a lesson in life. Does anybody know anybody who's kind of irritable, mean, not hard to get along with? You know, you don't, you don't say the wrong thing because you know that you know you're going to just upset them. Unfortunately, there's people like that almost everywhere, including in the church. And does anybody know anybody that's just easily irritated? You know. You say the wrong thing, and they're, all, they're just quickly up in arms. Does anybody know anybody who's in the middle of all that, right? Who's in the middle of somebody who doesn't always say it right, who, and somebody who never takes it right, and there's just, you're just always on eggshells. That's the story of our time. About a month ago, I gave a message on the importance of civility of expressing our disagreement in God-honoring ways and learning to get along and get through and, and do it in a God-honoring, Christ-like way. And it probably got about as much positive response as any message I've given in the last year or so. But it's very interesting because it's one thing to like the message and it's another thing to live it. It's another thing to know when to dial it down, when to be easy to get along with, quick, to receive the request for forgiveness and even more quick to offer it. It's the challenge of the world we live in. All of us live there. 1 Samuel chapter 25. So, David gets 400 of his best fighting men. They, they mount up and they ride off toward Nabal's house. And the word gets ahead of him to his wife a beautiful, brilliant young woman named Abigail. And Abigail is the one that we want to focus on today because she's actually, she's actually a little like Jesus. She lives a thousand years before him, but there's something about her and the way she responds and the example that she teaches that is good for us today. You know, somebody taught me a long time ago, when, you, when you're reading the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, first of all, look for Jesus. Look for those principles and, and, and actions that remind you of Jesus. And then ask yourself, is there a lesson to be learned here? Is there an example to be followed? Is there a sin to be avoided? Is there a quality of God to be praised? And you can ask yourself those questions reading any story from the Older Testament. 
And God can speak into your life because all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, including the story of Abigail. When Abigail figures out that there's going to be a showdown in the desert, that the Old West, the, the Wild West has come to the ancient Middle East, she decides somebody's got to, somebody's got to do something or this is going to be bad. People are going to die. Blood is going to be shed. And actually, she understands that if David has his way, it will be her household and herself. So she springs into action. I love the way scripture describes her. Beautiful and brilliant. And she acts exactly that way. She turns to her servants and says, what have we got that I can take as a gift? We got to head this thing off. So 200 loaves of bread, let's take those. Several bottles of the finest wine, let's take those. Um, let's get five sheep dressed out, ready to go on the fire. It'll be like, fast food mutton burgers okay <laughs> get them ready truss them up so that they can when I get there they can just cook them and eat them okay and then a, a hundred of those round uh, raisin cakes and 200 of those round fig cakes we'll give them stuff that they can make their own feast and let's let's get it out there as fast as we can she tells all of her household to gather those things and she sends them on ahead because it'll take them longer to get where they're going than it will for her. She gets on her own uh, animal and she gets out there as quickly as she can. She strategically plans the place they're going to meet. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that she meets them in the ravine where all of these 400 fighting men have to funnel in together and David will be in the lead and she will stand right there in the middle. They can't get around her. They can't avoid her. She puts her life on the line and she stands there. And what happens next is, is a lesson in life that all of us should learn. The first thing she says is, it's all my fault. I take all the responsibility. She bows before the king and says, I wasn't there. I didn't hear what happened but it's all my fault, and would you please lay the blame on me? You know, there's, there's an incredible power in a really good apology. And did you also know it's almost a lost art? I'm sorry if you took offense at what I said, because I really didn't quite mean it, and besides, it's your fault anyway. And, you know, have you ever heard that kind of an apology? It's kind of half-baked, nobody knows, and it's like, well, I was sort of wrong, I'm sorry you're mad, I wish it hadn't happened. It's like, what? It goes like this. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Would you practice that with me? You might need it, okay? Let's try it. I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Anybody old enough to remember Fonzie? He would go, I was... I know a lot of people who kind of do that. I was... You know, I'm, now I realize that sorry is one of the few words where I still have my Canadian accent. So I say I'm sorry. A sorry is what an Indian woman wears. But that's a whole other story. Okay, all right? I'm sorry. I'll say it. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. I, I, I was wrong. I take it. Lay it on me. Um, anybody hear a little Jesus in this story? The Bible says that before the foundations of the earth, God had in mind a master plan to create a designer planet filled with people made in his own image, created for the purpose of worshiping him and enjoying him forever. And in order for that to happen, he blessed his creation with the gift of free will knowing that we would abuse that gift. And that's the scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only did Adam and Eve sin, not only did former generations sin, but we've sinned and we've broken our relationship with God. We need to make peace with God. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I'll take the blame. Lay it on me. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That belligerent debt, lay it on me, Jesus says. That angry mom, lay it on me, Jesus says. That addicted young man or young woman as they come to the cross, I'll take it. That preacher who's full of himself, I'll forgive him, lay that to my account. The sins of the whole world are heaped on him. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Jesus is our righteousness. He is our peace. And then Abigail says, she takes it one step further, and I love the way she says it. I want to make sure I get it right because the way she says it is, is uh, perfect and profound. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. She tells King David, about to be King David, that if he honors God and does the right thing, God will honor him. And she even says to him, you know, you're not going to kill us. You're not going to shed this blood and God is going to bless you because of it. Wow. You're not going to kill us. You're not going to shed this blood. You're not going to do this foolish and rash thing. And God is going to bless you because of it. You know, I was thinking about the fact that the New Testament tells us that love is not easily provoked. Anybody ever hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The love chapter? Love is not touchy, is not irritable, doesn't fly off the handle, is not quick-tempered. Wow. Wouldn't it be great if that was a description of all of us? 
that by the help of God and the, and the power of his Holy Spirit in us, we, it would just, just be hard to make us mad. We, we would just be magnanimous and big and forgiving and, and, and large-spirited enough to be easy to, to get along with. You know, Abigail corrects King David's temperamental hissy fit. You know, this, this, over, this is a way over-the-top overreaction. David is about to ruin his life, commit murder, have blood on his hands. Who knows the consequences of this? And Abigail says, you don't want to do that. You don't want to let your anger get such a grip on you that you do something that you'll regret for the rest of your life. I know people who got so mad then in a moment of rage, they said something or did something that scarred them and other people for years to come. Family members who don't talk to each other anymore. Church people who, who leave and won't be reconciled. And the lesson in the story is it doesn't have to be that way. If we will allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our hearts, he can help us to be people of peace. To be people who aren't grouchy and irritable and offensive like Nabal the fool. To be people who, who don't just overreact in a moment of anger. You know, somebody taught me a long time ago that you better watch it when you are hurting or angry or lonely or tired because that's a time when you're vulnerable. Hurting, angry, lonely, or tired. And I added one more, careless. I know so many Christians who, who never thought they'd you know, cause a big problem or blow up a family situation, but it had been a long time since they had really prayed very much or read scripture or tended their soul. And you know what happens when you don't tend your soul? Little things drive you crazy. Small offenses become blown out of all proportion. Things are said and done that, well, you didn't really mean it and you didn't think you'd ever say it, but you did. And so we need to be careful when we're hurting or angry or lonely or tired or careless to guard our heart and seek God's help. And I love Abigail's example in dialing down David's anger. So there's four lessons printed on your outline there. The first is the lesson of the consequences of foolish words. James says it best, dear friends, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Then there's a lesson of hasty overreaction. God does not want us to be people who are easily provoked or touchy or irritable or quick-tempered. Then there's the lesson of wise words. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battles and you have not done wrong throughout your life. This woman knows how to get into the middle and bring people together. A genuine apology from her heart. By the way, accompanied with some pretty awesome gifts. Uh, she's a smart cookie. The way to a man's heart is through his 
<laughs> they say his stomach, right? I, I can think of a lot of different ways, but, but she's smart enough to say, I want to give him some things that are going to be thoughtful and kind. You know, there's power and wisdom in, in the right gift at the right time in the right way. This is pretty practical stuff in this Bible of ours. And when you're crosswise with somebody, when there's offense to be worked through, uh, a kind and generous gift can be a big help. And then there's the lesson of God's timely intervention. When Abigail speaks to David, she speaks to him about the God who hears them, who is a witness to everything that's going on. And she tells David that if he will relent from his anger, if he will not shed blood, that one day down the road, he'll be so happy that he didn't. He'll, he will sense the blessing and smile of God that he couldn't have felt any other way. Did you know that when you're doing the ordinary stuff of life, God is in the mix? When you're having a hard time at home getting along with your kids or your folks or your friends, God is in the mix. When there's somebody that has done you wrong or you've done someone wrong and you don't know what to say and you don't know how to fix it, God is in the mix. Pray before you say anything, before you do anything. Ask for his wisdom. Ask for his help. Ask for his timing. Some of you know that um, once or twice a month I'm on Facebook <laughs> or a little more often than that, okay? And the other day, uh, after Anthony Bourdain took his own life, I was reflecting on the fact that he was 61 years old and I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia and found out that Ernest Hemingway was 61 years old when he took his own life. And then I was reflecting on the fact that when I turned 60 and 61, it was hard for me. Like up until then, I was feeling my oats. I was, most things in my life were going up and to the right. I, I felt like I looked and acted younger than my age and suddenly I got reality. <laughs> I'm not young anymore, okay? And I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. And it rocked me. And for about a year, I was off balance, off kilter. What am I going to do now? I'm going to be old soon. <laughs> I am old. Oh, rats. Did you know that our society doesn't really love old? You know what I mean? We're not in the old. We're in the new. We're in the young. And it, and it really got to me. So I wrote this little post about how I was thinking and how I'm going to be 67 next week. And it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it did when I turned 60. I'm like, at least I survived. You know what I mean? And I'm doing better. And I, and I, have, a, I have good days ahead of me. I have good things that God wants to do in me and through me. And as I was posting about this, something really unexpected happened. A couple of people who took offense at something I did 15 years ago reached out to me. Some of them sent private messages, some of them publicly affirmed me, encouraged me, thanked me for what I said, talked about my ministry to them. And it became a grace moment I didn't expect. Because God is in the mix. 
So I know that Jesus Christ wants to be for you and me the Prince of Peace. He wants to work in us and through us to bring us together. To do everything possible to pursue the bond of unity and the spirit of peace, as the scriptures say. And all he asks of us is to cooperate. <laughs> to cooperate. To not, not to get ahead of his spirit, not to lag behind, not to take matters into our own hands, but to allow him to be at work in us and through us. And as the scripture says, as much as is possible, as much as lies in you, be at peace with everyone. Jesus is our peacemaker. And best of all, like Abigail intervening between Nabal and David, Jesus intervenes between our sins and a holy God. And he is our peace. He forgives he heals. He reconciles. There's nobody like Jesus. And so I look at a lesson from a woman in the Older Testament and I say, oh yeah, there's an example to be followed. Don't, don't say things you're going to regret. Don't overreact to a, to a simple insult and make it into a war. Be willing to take the blame. Be willing to make a heartfelt and honest apology when necessary. And trust God to be at work behind the scenes. Because you know the rest of the story? The rest of the story is that David relents. David accepts Abigail's apology. He turns around. He heads back. He says, we're not going to kill you and your house. And we're not going to kill your husband. And the Bible says that so, so uh, as she went home to give Nabal the good news that she had spared his life, he was so drunk, he couldn't even hear her. He had his guys, and they had their party, and they did their thing. And, and uh, so in the morning when he had slept it off, she tells him. She tells him how close he came. And Scripture says that God struck him in that moment. We don't know exactly how. He probably had a stroke. And 10 days later, he died. And when the news reached David that Nabal had died, he remembered a beautiful and brilliant woman who had saved him from doing a terrible wrong thing. And he sends word with some of his men to Abigail, uh, King David-to-be, is asking for your hand in marriage. Will you marry him? And she sends word back, of course I will. The sooner the better, right? And uh, <laughs> quite an ending to an amazing story. And I'm thinking about the fact that in Jesus Christ, when I trust in him, I am freed from the control of my old master, the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy, the one who wants to stir up trouble and keep us mad at each other, the one who wants to bring all this conflict into my life. God takes care of him as I trust in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, I become part of the bride of Christ, his chosen people, the Christian church. And I am married to a new husband. I have a new leader, a new master. What a beautiful story. What a powerful example. I need to heed it. I need to follow it. I need to live it. So the worship team is going to come and we're going to close with a song. But I'd like to lead us in prayer. I'd like to lead us in prayer for every person who needs peace today. 
peace with your spouse, peace with your kids, peace with your parents, peace at work. That God will make you an instrument of his peace. And then maybe right now today, there would be somebody that the Lord would bring to your mind that you can reach out to in kindness and love. And by his grace, you can bridge the difference. And I also want to pray for anybody here who feels like you're just not at peace with God. You can be through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've said things or done things in a moment of anger or foolishness that have offended a holy God, and you know it. And today you need to say, God, I am sorry. And I trust in Jesus to be my peace and take my sin. So will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for your powerful presence here today. Thank you for this amazing story from the sticky pages of the Old Testament. How relevant, how real. I pray for those of us who need help reconciling with one another. Whether we're the one who gave offense or the one who took offense or we're somehow caught in the middle. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the one who is the perfect reconciler. So give us grace to submit to you. To seek your help. And to offer the love that you pour into our hearts. Your, your word says that it's shed abroad. It splashes over onto other people. May we be known for being easy to get along with. May we be famous for being quick to forgive. By the grace of God, make it so. And if there's somebody we need to call or talk to or reach out to in some way, give us the grace and the strength and the courage to do it this week. And now, Lord, I pray for anyone who feels distant from you for whatever reason. Maybe it's just been carelessness. Or maybe it's more than that. Your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord Jesus, we confess our sins to you right now. Forgive us, cleanse us, make us new. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our peacemaker before the Father. And may we leave this place today right with God and right with our brothers and sisters by the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. We pray in Jesus' wonderful, matchless name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Jose oh,